0: Good evening, church family, and a warm welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to be with you this evening for our Advent communion service. Always one of my favorite services of the year as we all return. uh, Many of us were traveling this week. I know it was good to be with family, and it's good to be back with family as well. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to be continuing our Advent series looking at the miraculous births of the Bible. And so tonight, we're looking at Jacob and Esau. In a way, we're picking up where Pastor Bill left off this morning with Jacob's dad, Isaac, looking at Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Advent is... A beautiful opportunity for us to both look back at that longed promise, Messiah, the first coming of Jesus, and look forward to the second coming of Jesus as well. And Advent is about that season in between, that imperfect in-between time where we face up to the darkness in order that we might be able to appreciate the light. And there's plenty of darkness In this story of deception and division from Genesis chapter 25. So, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 28. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them when the boys grew up esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field while jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents isaac loved esau because he ate of his game but rebecca loved jacob this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let's pray together heavenly father we do pray as we look on your word that you would speak to us through this story, through this birth narrative. Would you even give some in this room new life perhaps for the first time hearing these, your special words. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So can I nerd out just a little bit as we get out in this passage. I see a few heads nodding yes. Before we get to this passage, we'd love to set some of the context. Uh, You may know the book of Genesis can be divided in several ways. One of them is sections called Toledot, and that is the word that we see, verse 19, translated for us. These are the generations of. That's that one word. There's 11 of these Toledot in Genesis, each of them marking a new section of the book of Genesis or perhaps concluding the previous section, depending on which Old Testament scholar you're leaning on for what it's worth. We're sticking with Dr. Fullalove and the former. And you can see in these verses, these short verses contain decades of stories. Decades. Look with me. Quick overview. And by the way, if you're interested in, in going deeper into this story, we actually did a whole series, a little mini-series, back in 2016, The Gospel and the Life of Jacob, Grasping at Grace. So 2016, it's on our website. still there if you're interested in more. But a quick overview. Our passage starts uh, with Abraham's son, Isaac, marrying Rebecca. We see some detailed notes there. He was in his 40s. And then verse, verse 20 faithfully praying for her to bear children because she was barren. In an incredibly kind response, God answers his prayer, and they have twins. But did you see the note how much time had elapsed from when they were married and started to try to have kids and when those kids were given to them? It was 20 years later that these kids had come. Can you imagine the the stories, the tears, the, the laments, the strife that were left unwritten in these short verses? We'll have an opportunity maybe to hear some of those stories in heaven one day. Another thing that I just thought was really cool when I was reading this story that I'd never seen before is that Abraham got to see his grandkids grow up. So based on the math, if you just trust me on the math, uh, Jacob and Esau were about 15 when Abraham died. Just an interesting note. And then by verse 26, Isaac's sons are, are grown and have continued to grow apart. Now, if you're like me and you read this for the first time maybe ever tonight, you might be thinking to yourself, What in the world is going on in this story? Maybe there's some familiar characters, some names, a story of a miraculous birth of these these twins who become rivals from one another uh, from birth. But before we get to that story, and I promise you we're going to get to that story, one more nerd out thing. Uh, There's so much to see in this section of God's Word, but there's one important thing that I want you to remember. It's this, that you don't have to be an Old Testament scholar or a card-carrying member of the Evangelical Theological Society to understand these verses. We believe in this amazing doctrine that we call the perspicuity of Scripture or clarity of Scripture. That is, the Bible is clear and can be understood by all who read it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps bring understanding and faith to hearers of His Word. So if we ever come to places in Scripture, we need not be afraid that God's Word is able and clear for us to all understand. Psalm 19.7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is is sure. Making wise the simple. So together, let's seek the Spirit's guidance. As we look at this passage, uh, three points and then a final point of application. We're going to look at the struggle in the womb, struggle in vocation, struggle in families, and then finally what it means for us. So struggle in the womb, struggle in vocation, struggle in families, and then what does it mean for us. So let's look at number one. If you pick up with me, turn back, we're going to be flipping back and forth uh, page, at least in my Bible, verses 20 and 21, Uh, the, the story of Isaac and Jacob is one that is just tinged with irony. There are many parallels to the story that you perhaps heard this morning about Abraham in several respects. We know that Sarah, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, and later on Rachel, Jacob's wife, are at first unable to bear children. The mothers of the nation's promise that all families of the earth would be blessed through them are initially barren. And it's okay for us to just pause even there and be reminded that that is because of the darkness of sin in the world as a result of the fall. But we see what God does at the end of verse 21. It says pretty clearly, the Lord did exactly what Isaac asked him to do. And Rebecca became pregnant. And this is 20 years later. All of life is a miracle and precious to God. But ultimately, this is a sign, a beautiful sign of the grace of God toward his chosen people and their reliance on the power of prayer. But look at verse 22. This was not an easy pregnancy. It says, The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is it happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. This struggle was so intense. That it made Rebecca wonder if her babies would even survive. You can hear the, the angst in her questions What good is my pregnancy if my children don't live? What good is this pregnancy if, if I don't survive? And God replies to her yearning with poetry. That's where we see it sort of set out to the side, versus. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So, the good news is you're having twins. But the bad news is they're going to be at war from birth. They're going to be in constant conflict. Jacob is going to live in the shadow of danger for much of his life. And these verses foreshadow much of the things to come in this story in the next 10 plus chapters for Jacob and Esau. The struggle in the womb is just a foreshadow of the struggle that these brothers would have. And this is not a surprise for us. If you go back to Genesis, flip a few pages to Genesis 3, 15 gave us this warning. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This idea of enmity, of friction, of hostility, of conflict, we see is is present here from the very beginning, from conception, we see conflict and struggle in the womb. We also see this conflict in vocation and in families, too. So let's look at the, the second point here, struggle in vocation. If we just go a few verses after Genesis 3:19, we hear this: "By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground." For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, what does this have to do with vocation? Well, the writer of Genesis tells us what the boys did for a living. It's really interesting. If you look at verse 27, we see Jacob and Esau's career choices. Esau, we're told, is a hunter, he's a man's man, a man of the field who later on, chapter 27, we're told, is someone who lives by the sword. And Jacob is a quiet man who doesn't carry his weapons to the dinner table. And he is one who dwelt in tents, which likely meant that he was a small game farmer. He was a sheep farmer, as we'll see later in this story. Now, this is important. The the Bible doesn't say one of these vocations is better than another, if anything, the contrast is more about their personalities, and as we'll see in a moment, about the favoritism of their parents than it actually is making a comment on the brother's vocations. But later in the story, we do see how Jacob abuses one of his gifts, which He was a good cook in the kitchen. So chapter 27, if you remember this story, Jacob deceives his brother with his culinary skills and with some help from his mother to obtain Isaac's blessing. He uses an aspect of his calling to deceive rather than to dispense God's grace. It's like pastors who bully or accountants who embezzle Or politicians who abuse power. Using a part of vocation that God has given us to its worst. And we shouldn't be surprised. I always go back to the Jesus Storybook Bible at the very beginning, which reminds us that the Bible isn't a book of heroes. There are some for sure, but most of the people in the Bible are not heroes at all. One of the points of this story, really, like Jacob, God's grace triumphed over Jacob's sinning, his scheming, his plotting. He is not the chosen one because of anything that he has done to earn it, but purely because of God's grace. The point of this story is that God works out his sovereign purpose in spite of our struggle and our sinfulness. God works out this story, his sovereign purpose, in spite of us. So we see struggle in the womb, struggle in vocation, and finally, struggle in families. And we see struggle continue generationally in this first family, the Family of the promise. Again, we see roots of this struggle in Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so thankfully we can say, if you remember the story, Isaac and Rebekah don't resort to concubines as a way to have children like Abraham and Sarah initially did during their struggle of infertility. If anything, Isaac is really propped up as as one of the godly characters in this story. There's not much said about him except for maybe poor judgment uh, at at certain times. But they struggled in other ways. Verse 28 shows us uh, one of the ways that they struggled. They showed favoritism towards their children. Isaac favored Esau, and Rebekah favored Jacob. And you know what? Jacob is going to do the same thing just a few chapters later when he has his son named Joseph, who he favors over his older brothers as well, and Benjamin for that matter, continuing this pattern of sin and of division in this family. Esau, actually, if we read through the story, most of the time, we're going to agree with Esau's perspective of his little brother, the cheat, Jacob. In chapter 27, Esau is right when he says that Jacob has lived up to his name, the deceiver. The, the, it's the word that sounds like the deceiver grabbing onto the, the heel. Esau said, you fit your name perfectly. And I don't have to prove this point any better than just to ask, did anyone have any struggles with your family over Thanksgiving break? Anybody have any struggles with your family? How was your relationship with your parents or your siblings, your roommates, with your children? P.S., mom and dad, we had a really great Thanksgiving, so I'm not thinking of anything in particular. But you get what I'm saying. The, The struggle in our families is real. The question is, what can we learn from all of these struggles? These struggles that exist because of the fall, fallenness in our humanity and, and what we do and, and the families that we belong to. There's a lot of darkness when you look at this story. So what can we learn from our struggles as we live in between the first and the second advent? Because no family is immune from struggle, including ours. Lest you think we end in darkness, one of the reasons that we focus on darkness during this season of Advent is so that we would appreciate the light. It's one of the, the highlights of this season for our church family is when we turn out the lights and we see the candles glowing and we sing together. The darkness of these stories helps us to appreciate the light. And if Genesis 25 teaches us anything, it's that struggle is not the end of the story. Struggle is not the end of this story. That is the good news. One of my favorite preachers said it like this. Every struggle is an opportunity for God to show his power in your life. Every struggle is an opportunity for God to show his power in your life. That's John David Stevenson for the record and not Tim Keller for once. Um, But God's power is made perfect in our weakness. This is that great gospel reversal that Paul talks about in Romans 9. Though they were not yet born and had nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's the point of this story. It's not about what they've done, but about Jesus Christ who calls them. And when you hear the lives of the patriarchs, if you read through Genesis, these Toledotes, you can't help but see one lesson with increasing clarity. It's that God chooses what is foolish, what is weak, what is lowly, to shame the wise and the strong and the proud so that none of us can come and boast because of the things that we bring. It is all because of God's grace. All that we are, from birth to death, in our work, in our families, all that we attain in this life is because of the grace of God. And this is what God does for Isaac and Rebecca by giving them a child two children miraculous births showing his grace undeserved because he is good he brings miraculous births to the barren and you know what he does this for us too because he brings a baby a baby who Matthew's gospel tells us is born in the royal line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob born in Bethlehem for you and for me. Not a deceiver who's grasping at the heels of his brother, but our brother Jesus, the Redeemer who crushed the head of the serpent once and for all through his life and through his death and his resurrection, I was able to visit the, brave, the, the grave of my brother for the first time over this Thanksgiving week. And we read these words on his tomb and wept together as a family, reminded of our great Redeemer from 1 Corinthians 15:56 and 57 The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Our struggles the darkness that we see around us in the world, that we experience ourselves. Remind us of the light of the world. Remind us to appreciate the light and the hope of the world to come. The second advent is coming when every tear will be wiped from every eye and all things will be made right. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, and keep us while we wait. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Your goodness to them that was not because of Their lineage or their actions, not because of things that they did to earn your favor, but because you called them by name out of their land to be your chosen people. We thank you for that story and the reminder to us that it is that we share in this great tradition, the faith of our fathers that's not based on lineage or accolades or things that we've attained, but it's based on your grace alone. We thank you for this story, for what it teaches us. Even the unusual pattern for how you show us in this gospel reversal of your goodness and grace toward us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.